We have Moran, who is going to be here this morning speaking. Some of you know that he is uh, one of our uh, ministry partners. Um, if you've gone to Israel, you know Moran. If you have yet to go to Israel, then I encourage you to plan on going. We're going in the spring. And uh, through Moran and his, and his company and his ministry. And so I want to invite Moran to come on up. Come on up. We want to pray over him and, uh, and hear what the Lord has to say. Let's pray for our brother. Father, I thank you for my brother. Thank you for the many ways that you have uh, moved in his life. Thank you for Melissa. Thank you for his kids. I thank you for the really challenging, difficult seasons of his life. Thank you for those moments where he has gotten a limp because he has wrestled with you in dark places. I thank you that we are grafted in to your people. So I thank you for my brother. I bless him. I bless his family. I bless this trip to the States that he would be refreshed. Ask for spiritual gifts and other gifts that he doesn't even know that he needs, but that you desire to give him. I ask that you would give it to him right now. Ask for more of your presence. Ask for more of your voice. And Father, we thank you for your desire to speak to us. And so I bless him now as he shares your word, that you give him clarity, recall, gifts of revelation and teaching, gifts of prophecy and wisdom. So we thank you and we bless him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. Thank you, brother. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. You said I have about a couple of hours, right? Absolutely. The second service can just join us, right? Thank you. Such a blessing to be here, and I, and I have to share with you what's going on in my mind, and that's why I look down and kind of moving. Um, there is a battle. There is a battle because I get to travel around the U.S. in different parts. I love the fact that Brother Jamie just said, y'all, you know, I feel comfortable after being in... Texas and Louisiana. Yeah. Well, earlier this week when I, I met with Brother Jamie, he kind of, he said, you share what's on your heart. So I'll share what's on my heart. And I'll start with a picture that I had Thursday. Thursday, we, we had some, uh, I, was, I was sharing at the medicine place, and we had worship, and, and at the end of the service, there was some more worship, and I saw a picture, and I want to share it with you because I feel like, and I believe that some of us need to hear that. The picture was that as we were worshiping, there was no roof. And as we were worshiping, the walls were broken. 
And I believe that afterward, God gave me, and I'm, and I'm using it carefully to say when God gave me an interpretation because I think sometimes we use it too often. We use the name of God too often and kind of like what we want Him to please us, but it's not about us. And I saw chains. And I saw the church. And the church sometimes, the buildings, the structures, are holding us and preventing us from coming to the fullness of what God has for us. I want to encourage you earlier there was a word about getting into the battle you are in the battle but the only way to win that battle is, is when your eyes are fixed on him not on the battle not on all all of those things but on God and God alone On Thursday, as I was preparing to give my message, I look at my phone and, and, I, and I get, and by the way, it, none of it is on my notes, so just that, you know, those of you who came with us on past tours, you know, that's just the introduction, okay? But, my, but I look at my phone and I get a message from Apple. Now, I am a Mexianic Jew, okay? Let me say it again. I'm a Mech. Sianic Jew, okay? So I love the old Apple world. And I look and I get a message from Apple that says, your phone have been hacked. And then the time is starting to go down and, and it says, you have exactly two minutes to press or you will be hacked. And the first thing I did was turned off my phone. Then I turned it back on. I erased Firefox, which is what it was on. And I called someone. And he gave me a number of someone else. And he said he knows computer. And that someone else called someone else. And there was three of us kind of talking about whether or not I've been act or not. And why am I sharing it with you? Because that's how the enemy is working. By the way, I was not hacked. If I would have pressed that notification, I would have been hacked. But I didn't. And that's how the enemy is working in our lives. He will give us a notification. He will put the temptation. He will plant a thought. He will do something that if you press on it, you will fall. But if you call God, first of all, and you call a brother, then your eyes will be back on the one who has called us. My dear brothers and sisters, a few weeks ago, a few months ago actually, I sat at someone's office and 
And as I sit with him, I, I look above him and I see a plaque behind him. And he said, you know, it's really rude to not look at me in my eyes. And, you know, I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I just really like what's written above you. He said, well, what is it? And, and I saw a quote from a man named Joel Barker. And Joel Barker said, vision without action is merely a dream. Action without vision just passes the time. Vision with action can change the world. And I believe that God entrusted to us a responsibility. And that is to bring change to this world. Now I will tell you how we are not going to change the world if we continue to talk. And as we worship, I was standing over there, and usually I kind of pray in a seat for everyone. And I could sense that some of you, you may worship with your mouth, but in your hearts, in your minds, it's just action. There is no vision. There is no life. There is... Not encounter with the living God. And earlier this morning when I was praying and go over, going over the message that I had, I felt the words coming to me, do you know the password? Do you know the password to enter into the kingdom? And do you know the password to make a change? You know, the reality is that so many things have changed during the past few years. Those of you who know me for many years, you know that this is a change, okay? I'm getting old can see very well, so I need my glasses. Our world have changed. We change. But there is one thing that have not changed, and that is our God. He's the same one who was yesterday, the same one who is today, and the same one that will always be. Regardless of the circumstances that you may face today, God is in control. But the question is, how do we turn that statement into a reality in our lives? We say God is in control, but when the rubber meets the road and there is a challenge, is God in control or not? And we need to not just say it as a statement, but to allow him to be in control. We're called to make a difference in this world, but in order to do so, we need to allow God to change us first. 
to conform us into His image, and that in and through us, we allow Him to bring change to one life at a time. God brought us from darkness to light in order that in and through us, He can reconcile this world to Himself. A few weeks ago, I sat with a, a co-worker with a pastor in uh, Dallas. And I said to him that one of the things that hurts me the most is that we as believers have lost the heart for people in the name of God. And let it sink in for a moment. I know it's not a popular message right now what I'm saying, but you know what? If it's a... The last time my brother Jamie will ever invite me here, let it be. But we have lost the heart for people in the name of God. The reality is that we view people based on their political views. We view and judge people based on their political views. We view and judge people based on their life choices. I can move on and on and on instead of looking at people through the eyes of God as people whom the Father sent His Son in order to restore them back to Himself. Not to a building, not to a religion, but to Himself. As God ambassadors, we are called to represent Him. Instead of judging people, we ought to prepare them for the day that they will meet the judge. And in order to know the judge and meet the judge, you first need to know the password in how to enter the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, we read, And Yeshua, as you know, that's how we call him in Israel. So if it's okay, I'm going to use his Hebrew name. He was walking by the lake of Kinneret, by the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee. And as he was walking there, he saw, the two, he saw two brothers who were fishermen. Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, throwing their nets into the lake. Yeshua said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they said, Let us pray about it. Let us think about it. Wait, 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 wait. Now, what did they do? Immediately they left everything and followed him. And we say jokingly, and before I continue, I just want to say that sometimes that's what we do as believers. God is calling us to something. We say, let me pray about it. The biggest number one excuse for disobeying God is let me pray about it. The biggest number one excuse. Now, with that, I'm not saying not to pray about something, okay? 
don't misunderstand me, but don't use it as an excuse for disobeying God. They left everything immediately and followed him. Now, when I read this, I asked, because I'm a firm believer that we are to ask questions, why? Why would those fishers leave everything and follow him? That was their job. That was their source of income. That was their way to provide not just for themselves, but for their parents, their families. Back then, the community. So just to come and, and see this stranger coming and say, hey, leave everything. I'll make you fishers of men. And for them to, to leave everything and follow him immediately, that is irresponsible. So why would they do that? And my dear brothers and sisters, the answer is always found in the Word of God. I want to suggest that those men were men that from a very young age would go to the synagogue, would study the Torah, what some may call the law. But the Torah, God's teaching. The study of the prophets and you, the word of God. The word of God was engraved in their lives. You see, it's not enough just to know about God. It's important to know God. That it's our entire life, that it's been engraved into our lives, into our DNA. It's enough to say that we are believers. That is not enough to say, oh, we are believers, I'll go to church. No, it needs to be our life, not just in statements, but our life. And then you, something profound in my opinion, that comes from the Word of God. The news that someone needs to come to that area and will use a very specific words, a very specific terminology that if he uses words, they will know that he is the one. Jamie, I think that God may want to tell us something. In Matthew 24, when the disciples came to Yeshua and said, Hey, tell us what, what will be the sign of your coming? When will be? He, he told them, Oh, look at all the ear of Shemitah or the blood moon or, or that movement and that movement and all of those things that excite our flesh and get us excited about God. That's what he told them? No, he said, See to it that no one will mislead you. 
because many will come in my name and will say, I am he. People will come in his name and will say, I am he, and will mislead many. Why? Because many today don't know who he is. That's why whenever there is a move in the church or the body of Messiah about something that has been there for thousands of years, we get excited simply because it's new, because we don't take the time to read the Word of God. But those fishers knew that someone is going to come and use the terminology and that they can leave everything and follow him because they will recognize him. Not based on their feeling. And our faith cannot be based on our feeling, but on the truth of who God is and the truth of his word. Now, friends, God is talking to someone here because most of what I say is not in my notes. So they would go to the synagogues, those fishers, and they would study every week what the Word of God says. They had to memorize the Word of God. So they knew that what Genesis 48, verses 15 and 16 says. I'll just read it in English. No, I'll read it in Hebrew. ויברך את יוסף ויאמר האלוהים אשר התהלכו אבותיי לפניו אברהם ויצחק האלוהים הרואה אותי מעודי עד היום הזה. המלאך הגואל אותי מכל רע יברך את הנערים ויקרא בהם שמי ושם אבותיי אברהם ויצחק ויהדגו לרוב בקרב הארץ. Now since I have the gift of interpretation I will interpret what it says. Then he blessed Yosef, Joseph and he said, the God in whose presence my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, lived. The God who has been my own shepherd all my life. The angel who has re rescued me or redeemed me from all harm. Bless these boys. May they remember who I am and that what I stand for. And likewise, my fathers, Abraham and Isaac who they were and what they stood for. And may they grow into teeming multitude on the earth. And there are a few versions that say it in different ways. And that's where I get a little frustrated because sometimes I don't understand why it wasn't translated in the accurate way. Because in Hebrew it doesn't say may they grow into multitude it says, which means, and may they greatly fish in the midst of the earth. And Jeremiah 16, 16 says, Luke says, the Lord, I will send for many fishermen, and they will fish them. Afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them from every mountain and hill out of the caves in the rocks. So in other words, what took place here? They knew that someone is going to come and use a very specific password. I will make you into fishers of men. 
because that's what the Word of God says. Now, I would like to give you an illustration, okay? You have to remind me your name. Luke. Wow. I couldn't have chose. Can you be here at the second service also? Please, okay? Look, I tell you that you sit here and you don't trust anyone. But the person that tells you, Pastor Jamie is the most anointed pastor in the world. Okay? So you don't trust anyone but the person that come and tell you, Pastor Jamie is the most anointed pastor in the world. Okay? Now, let's say, remind me your name? John. Wow. <laughs> John, can you be here also? I love that. John come and tell you, Pastor Jamie is the best pastor in the world. Can you trust him? No, because he didn't say Pastor Jamie is the most, what? Anointed pastor in the world. He just used different vocabulary. But if I come and tell you Pastor Jamie is the most anointed pastor in the world, you can trust me. That's what happened with the disciples, with the fishers. Then use a password. Then use that someone will come. And then they can leave everything and follow him. Do you know the password? Not about the password, but do you know the password to enter into the kingdom? And then the question is, if you do, what does it mean? If you truly want to know God, the best way is to leave everything and to follow Him. Now, that doesn't mean that your life will be perfect. Actually, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Maybe you've been promised at the church or somewhere a false promise that if you raise your hand, everything will be perfect for you. That person unintentionally lied to you. Because when I read the Word of God, I see some great promises. You'll be persecuted. Someone slap you on one cheek, you give the other one. You love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you. That's what I see in the Word of God. We're not in the kingdom because of what we will get. We're in the kingdom because of what we got. That's very simple. And the minute that we said yes to him, we said no to ourselves because now we live for he who died and rose again on our behalf. So our life are no longer about us, but about him. But we need to know him first. We need to know the password. And the minute that we know the password, then we need to get off the boat. Off our place of security. Off our place of comfort. Jamie, I did lose track of time, so how much longer do I have? Keep going. <laughs> Remember, you said this. <laughs> you know, the children of Israel, 
are a great example for us. The children of Israel were in Egypt, in slavery. They were considered as death. They suffered. God heard their cry. And God sent them a messenger who through that messenger, he delivered them. But in order for them to be delivered, God showed some great acts of wonders. And then he told them, hey, you need to take some blood of a lamb, put it on the doorpost. Why? Because when the angel of death will come, he will know not to enter into this house because the blood is a sacrifice that will mark. So they did so. And then they got out. And now what? Were they free to do whatever they wanted? God delivers them from out of Egypt so they can say, oh, we are delivered? Did God chose them so they can say, we are the chosen ones? No. God delivered them. God shows them that in and through them, He can manifest His glory. And that they continue to go. And after all those acts of wonders, now imagine that, that you'll be the children of Israel, and you see those acts of wonders. Would you say, I am going to follow God and trust Him regardless of the circumstances, Right? I think it's the most natural to, thing to do. But in reality, we don't. We are like the children of Israel. So they continue to go, and then they see the sea. And behind them, they hear the horses. The same Pharaoh comes to get them. And what do they do? Why did you take us out of Egypt? We had better life over there. Why did you take us out so we will die? But Israel's God is a faithful God in the same way that our God is the same one, is a faithful God. So what happened? Moses hear from God, hey, take that stick, put it in the water, bam, departure of the sea. I would love to see that. Not in Prince of Egypt movie, but in reality. <laughs> and they go in the cross, and now what? You would think that they will trust him. They see the Egyptians behind them. That brings some fear, right? But God is a faithful God. The final act of wonder with the Egyptian was this massive drowning of the Egyptians. And now you will say, well, they will worship God. So they go and they get to a mountain. And suddenly their mini-God, Moses, the one that they put their trust in because they didn't know the one and only true God, disappear for a few days. And now they come to the second one, to the assistant pastor, and say, hey, we need a God. Because we are so used to images. We put our hope on the buildings. 
on the pastors. And I could go on and on and on instead of putting our hope in God because we, are need, to, we need to know God, not about Him. So now there is this golden calf. But again, a faithful God. So in spite of their rebellion, God still loves them. And we can continue on and on and on with the story of Israel. That God is rescuing them and they rebel. And He's rescuing them and they rebel. And by the way, Israel exists today. So we see that it's the same God. So the question is now what for us? And before I came to the U.S., I asked God to give me a word for the body of believers, a word of exhortations, and the words this time were, now what? What does it mean? Because I can come here and give you a word about knowing God, making sure that you know the password, and you can come and maybe say, oh, it was a boring message, or if God touch some of you say wow it was a great message but now what because if you leave these doors and you live in the same way then I've wasted my time you say you believe in God now what what does it man means how is it been practiced into your life how do you apply your faith into your life we can come here during the worship and see Praising God, hallelujah and amen. What does it mean? Does those words mean something for us beyond just singing? I'm glad, sister, someone agrees with me. <laughs> beyond Luke and John. <laughs> so I want to exhort you, my dear brothers and sisters. God is doing something here. I spoke to my brother Jamie, and I know that there is something that God is doing here in this church right now. I know you are seeking after your identity in Him. But your identity in Him, if you are in Him, it's no longer your identity. It's His identity in and through you. Now what? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for you to believe in a Redeemer? What does it mean for you to follow God? How is it going to be applied into your life? The answer is not in what you think or what you say. It's in what you do. So I want to exhort you. Do you know the password? And if the answer is yes, it's time to let go and let God. It's time to let go of your identity and to start to know God's identity and to follow His identity and His example. Is there something in your life right now that you are holding so close to your heart that is more important than God? It's that thing that maybe God is calling you to let go 
and let in. It's that thing that you need to let go of control and allow God to lead you. Friends, all y'all for Jamie. <laughs> the world is going in the wrong direction. And I believe that many of you agree with me. But the reason why the world is going in the wrong direction is that we, his followers, have lost our direction. It's not because of the world, it's because of us. We need to return, we need to repent. We need to abide to his identity and stop making it all about ourselves. Only then there is hope for a fallen world to know the one and only true and living God. Lord, I want to thank you for your love and for your grace. And Father, I, I believe that there is somebody here who may not know the password. And the password is to leave everything that you know and to follow the one that was sent in order to reconcile you to the Father regardless of whatever it is that you are going through in your lives right now. Father, there may be others here who know the password, but somewhere became very self-focused and forgot that it's all about you. Lord, wherever it is, I pray right now that you will restore them back to you. Jimmy, would you come and lead people into prayer? I'm going to invite the band up. And I'm going to invite us to stand right now. I'm going to invite the band we're going to take a final, uh, our final minutes here uh, reflecting. We have communion tables open. I want to encourage you, if that image resonated with you of this letting go of whatever you're holding on to, I want to encourage you as you come to the table, why don't you, before you just run up to the table and start taking communion, I want to encourage you to, to leave that thing at your chair when you walk up to the table. And as you take the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you in your place for your sin, and you dip in that juice symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for you, that this isn't just a ritual act, dunk, but is actually a, a joining in with Christ himself. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite prayer teams as well to come up. If you need to come and receive prayer, then come and receive prayer from the prayer teams. Let me pray, and we'll enter into a time of ministry and response. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to exchange our brokenness for your life, Jesus. And thank you for this table. 
Thank you for what it symbolizes and the very real presence, your presence here with us in the bread and in the cup. And I bless my brothers and sisters, I, I bless you with courage to leave behind the old man and old woman to receive Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you will come, that you will change minds and hearts right now. You would draw us to the Son of the living God, Jesus the Christ, who created all things and then redeemed all things and is in the process of redeeming all things. So we give you this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.